Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Central Wired podcast, and thanks for listening in. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwired.com or on Facebook and Instagram. We hope this week's message meets you right where you're at. Enjoy. Hey, Hey. I'm glad you guys are here. Oh my gosh. You know, I wish I had that hoodie on right now. I'm freezing. Um, But it's weird. It's weird looking at yourself and hearing yourself. But when I heard myself say, you know, how grateful I am to be your pastor and how humbled and honored I am, uh, that's the truth. And all those guys um, that you saw, that's the truth about us. That's our dynamic DNA. If you're unfamiliar or newer to our church, we are one church in four locations offering 10 opportunities for worship every weekend in six different venues in two different languages because our Jesus is worthy. Here's the deal. <clears throat> our Jesus loves people. So we love people, all kinds of people, all colors of people, all cultures of people, Janesville, Beloit, the region, uh, McChesney Park, uh, the Latino community, our inner city. He is a faithful, faithful God. We serve him because we love him, and we want to reach every heart and every home with the good news of his love. Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins, risen from the dead, King of kings, Lord of lords, and he is worthy of all of our praise. Would you join me in prayer, thanking him right now for what he's done, what he's doing. Lord Jesus, you just keep showing up and showing off in this place at each of our campuses, in each of our services. Oh my gosh, we can't get over what you've done, what you're doing, what we anticipate from you. We're gonna follow you anywhere you lead, no matter what. And we're just excited to have you as our God and the honor and the the privilege of serving you and loving you and being in real relationship with you. In your name we pray, amen. Would you give Jesus a hand clap with me, please? He is good. You guys are way better hand clappers than the nine o'clock service. Um, I want to greet those who are with us online. We love you guys. And um, I wish I was home watching online right now. It's stinking cold out there. Um, We're closing a series of messages called Resolve, and we're going to visit and unpack a letter Jesus dictated uh, to a church. I mean, it's in the book of Revelation, and before Jesus closes the final page on his word, he dictates seven letters to seven pastors in seven churches. Now, the number seven, all of Revelation is symbolic. But the number seven carries huge symbolism, not just in Revelation, but the Bible. It indicates spiritual completeness, which indicates to us that these letters, though they were written to real people in real places at a real time, they have implications for us. These are letters from Jesus to this church. These are letters from Jesus to your marriage, to your friendships. These are letters of Jesus with implications for your parenting and your finances. This is a church in Philadelphia. Now, I'm not talking about the city in Pennsylvania uh, with the Phillies and the Eagles. 
This is an ancient city in what is modern-day Turkey. I visited there when, uh, some years ago with people from our church. This was Asia Minor in the day that Jesus dictated this letter, and there was a church there in the city of Philadelphia. Now, Philadelphia was just its most recent name. It had been named and renamed and renamed, and people anticipated that it would be named again, and it has been. But at the time Jesus dictates the letter, it's Philadelphia, which means the city of brotherly love. Thank you for waking up. Yeah, the city of brotherly love, but they had identity issues. I mean, if the new, let's say, mayor wants to suck up to the Caesar, then he changes the name of the whole town. So people might say, hey, where are you from? (laughs) Well, I'm not sure what they're calling it now. And it's not just that they um, had insecurity about who they were. I mean, these were serious identity issues because names are important. I mean, some people love their names. Some people hate their names. Some people, particularly celebrities, change their names. In fact, I thought we'd play a name game to get us going right now. I'm going to say the name of someone, and I want you to shout out to me um, what what they named themselves, change their name to. Here we go. We'll start with Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. These first two are for old people. Cassius Clay. Muhammad Ali, Karen Johnson, Whoopi Goldberg. Now what mom would name her girl Whoopi? Like Whoopi Cushion Goldberg, yeah. Thomas Mapother IV, Tom Cruise, Terry Jean Belia, Hulk Hogan, good. Wrestling fans, all right. Okay, this is for the young people in the room. Curtis Jackson. Thank you. I can't say that very well. Reginald Dwight. Elton John. Good. Okay, now some people have become so famous, they go by simply one name. Let me give you a bunch. Here we go. Sting. Oprah, Cher, Madonna, Beyonce, Adele, Jewel, Shakira, Prince, Tiger, LeBron, David. (laughs) Just messing with you. But there are some people who are called the something. Like the rock is, the duke is, the king is. I am so disappointed. This is church. Well, King Jesus, I'm mean. I'm, there's, there's mean in me. King Jesus dictates this letter to his best friend, John, to the church in Philadelphia. And it's not just the identity crises about name change, name change, name change, not knowing who we are, but Philadelphia was built on a geological fault line. And so it fell into ruin time and time again through natural calamity, earthquake after earthquake. I mean, the whole place would fall down and people would move outside the city and camp out. When we went in 2010, my Debbie and Wilkie and I went to Haiti. Wilkie is uh, our son who's adopted from Haiti. And we went to visit the damage. Uh, to the island, 
I mean, it was just absolutely appalling, horrific. But people were afraid to re-enter their homes for fear the homes would just collapse on them. Even now, our Miriam, um, Jake's wife from uh, Puerto Rico, she indicated to me, uh, Puerto Rico just had a terrible series of uh, earthquakes and people are afraid to re-enter their homes. That was Philadelphia. Everything turns to ruin. Their whole world falls down around them. They start camping out outside the city. But it wasn't just the insecurity. It wasn't just the devastation. And there's more devastation coming. It, w- it wasn't just that they lost everything. Because they were Christ followers, they suffered severe persecution. If you are someone who claims faith in Jesus, they would steal your stuff. And there's nothing you could do about it. They would beat you bloody just because you named Jesus as your king. And so Jesus is inspecting the faith of these folks who are suffering. In fact, the Caesar at that time, his name was Domitian, Domitian, that guy, (laughs) Domitian. And he persecuted the the church in such a bloody way, it was said that Domitian bathed the world in Christian blood. And so here are these believers in Philadelphia. They've lost everything through earthquake. They have these identity issues. They don't know exactly who they are. And they're being persecuted terribly, stuff stolen, beaten bloody. And to them, Jesus writes this letter. I will write on them. I see them. I know them. I feel for them. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city. They may not know the name of their city, but I'll write on them the the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Now, this is huge because all of us, have had terrible things said to us or said about us. And sometimes we make the mistake of listening to that, believing that, and we begin to think that's who we are. Some of us, terrible things have happened to us. We suffered rejection, betrayal, abuse, and we start to see ourselves as victims. Damaged goods. Our identity gets wrapped up in not just what's been done to us, but what we've done. And we can't get over what we've done. We feel such shame. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you are not what someone said about you. You are not what someone did to you. You are not what you did. You are who you are in relationship to me. You are who you are because of what I did for you on the cross, because of what I did when I conquered hell, death, and the grave, and rose on Easter Sunday. You are who you are. You are a child of the living God. You are highly valued. You are deeply loved. You are unconditionally accepted. You are fully and completely significant in my eyes. That's who you are. In fact, if you surrender your life to Jesus, if you believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior who died for your sins and rose from the dead, you surrender that truth and all your imperfections are put on him. Here's who you are. All his perfection is put on you. Anything wrong with you, it's put on Jesus 
And everything right with Jesus is put on you. Everything bad about you is put on Jesus and everything good about Jesus is put on you. And there's nothing and no one who can ever change it. That's your identity. You bear the image of the living God. You are a reflection of Christ. That's how God sees you. That's who you are. You see, Jesus wants to change your identity whatever you think of yourself, to an unchangeable identity, how he sees you, how he loves you, how he values you, the significance that he gives you. So Jesus, walking among the churches, and he does it still, he's in our midst at this moment, moving up and down the aisles by each seat in each row, and not just this church, but every church. And he was doing it then. He was inspecting. He saw their suffering. He saw how they'd been persecuted. He he saw their confusion about their identity. And this is what he dictates to John. He says, write this letter to the angel. Now again, Revelation is a symbolic letter. They used symbols so that if the letter fell into the hands, like a Roman soldier, they wouldn't get it because they didn't know what the symbols meant. Well, the symbol for pastor is angel, which I think is appropriate. Write this letter to the angel, the pastor of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message. Now Jesus begins to establish his identity and his absolute authority. This is from the one, the one who is holy. The Greek word is hagios, and it doesn't mean someone who has a bowed head and goody-goody folded hands. It means someone who is set aside for the purposes of God. You are holy because God has a purpose for your life. I am holy because God has a purpose for my life. And the purpose agreed upon between God the Father and God the Son Jesus and God the Holy Spirit was this. Jesus, though fully God, would come to earth through human birth, be born of a virgin. That's Christmas, right? And he would grow to manhood and be tempted in every way that we've been tempted, but where we've all failed miserably, he would pass every test with flying colors. It was hard. It was a battle, but he battled his way over every temptation tenaciously, and he won every time so that he knew no sin and did no sin. And then because he was fully God and fully man, he laid his sinless life down on the cross to pay for our sin. He was the only worthy candidate because he was fully God and fully man and absolute sinless. And God accepted him in our place as our substitute, taking the punishment we deserve for our sin. That was the purpose of Jesus. And God raised him from the dead. And he is exalted right now to the right hand of God where he advocates for us, where he speaks up for us where he calls out our name before the throne of God. He is holy and true. Now that word true, the Greek word aletheos, does not mean like uh, true as opposed to false. It means absolutely authentic. He's the one and only. Uh, Remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That's Jesus, the one and only There is no other Jesus. There is no other God who became flesh. No other God who is both man and God at the same time who died for our sins and rose from the dead. He's the true, the real deal. The one, get this, who has the key. Key is a symbol of authority. The key of David. David was Israel's greatest king. So Jesus says, I am am the king of kings. And I can use my key 
to open doors and allow you into blessing, allow you into favor, allow you into love, allow you into joy, allow you into peace, allow you into hope, allow you into provision, allow you into abundance. And I can lock that door and keep all the bad stuff out. That's who I am. That's the authority I have. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. And so he's speaking to these people who are living this insecure, uncertain lives because they just kept anticipating another natural calamity, another identity change, and more brutality because they believed in Jesus. But they kept trusting Jesus. Steal my stuff? I'm chill with that because Jesus will provide. Change the name of that town? That's okay because I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Beat me up, beat me up again. My Jesus is a healer. My Jesus is a helper. And my body, it's one day going to be no more, but I'm going to get a new body and go to heaven forever with my Jesus. They just kept trusting him. You see, only, only, only Jesus is totally reliable in this utterly unreliable world. Bad stuff happens to everybody. Do you rely on your money? Do you rely on people? Do you rely on your own charisma, your own intellect, your own personality? No, only Jesus is totally reliable when everything goes south, when everything goes sideways. Only Jesus will hold you. Only Jesus will stand. Only Jesus is a, is, is a firm foundation. And this is where we get our joy. It's an adventure following Jesus because we know somehow, someway, he's working everything together for the good. This is where we get our strength as people, the total reliability of Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is where we get our peace. We can be chill. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to get it done. All that I know, that I know, that I know is that my Jesus is actively right now at work to my good. This is where we get our hope. We have anchored our hope to the reliability of Jesus. And he's going to deliver every time. So Jesus writes to the church in Philadelphia, I know all the things you do. And I've opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength. I mean, you've been beaten. You've lost your stuff. You don't even know who you are. Yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. So I know you're not the strongest church. I know you're not the biggest church. I know you're not the richest, richest church. But when they beat you, you didn't deny. You didn't deny me. You just kept living out my word. When they took your stuff, you didn't deny me. You kept living out my word. When, you, when your home and your marriage and when everything just kept falling down around you, you just kept obeying my word. You did not deny me. And um, I think that's been the story of Central Christian Church. That through the years... God has opened door. And the first door God opened for Central Christian didn't look like much. We weren't much. It was 1907. And our church was so small, we worshiped in somebody's house for four years. In 1911, God made a way. God opened a door. And we built a building, 
Our church built a building in one day that still stands on Vernon on the west side of Beloit. And we worshiped there. And God opened the door. We outgrew that building. We bought a building on uh, Bluff Street in Beloit and worshiped there and outgrew that building. Here's a, a picture of that building on Bluff the last weekend of their worship. And God opened the door for our church at that time. They got a piece of property at the corner of Olympian and Vine on, on the other side of Beloit. Built the building there. Outgrew that building. That's when Deb and I came. In 1981, we were invited to come here. We wanted to see the church. We'd never heard of Beloit, Wisconsin before. We were staying at what was called the Holiday Inn in South Beloit. So we drove to the church and looked for a place to park and drove around the church and looked for a place to park and drove around the church. The church had no parking lot. It was built like in Leave it to Beaver days. And people, it's a neighborhood church. People walked to church. And then God opened a door. And in 1987, we bought the property, the 10 acres of land that we're on right now. We paid $7,000 an acre. Do you know how much land is going for on Milwaukee Road right now, close to the confluence of 39 and I-90? Way more than $7,000 an acre. We would come out here when it was just a hayfield. In fact, we'd get big old fistfuls of dirt and hold them up in prayer and say, oh God, raise up out of this land a, a mighty work, a great ministry to your name. Um, if we'd been a Catholic church, we would have called it the Our Lady of the Hayfield. <laughs> and no one saw it coming. Not the architect, not the consultants, not the engineers. Not the contractor, our first Sunday on this campus, in this building, we doubled in size overnight. Went from a small church of 250 people to a church of 500 worshipers on the weekend. Hey, I can't do that. All of us together can't do that. God opened a door and all kinds of people in faith and relying on Jesus walked through. And then... About nine years later, we outgrew that room. Oh my gosh, we immediately were doing three services a weekend. And the kids took over the building. And so we would get like Morgan School and rent it. And we rented a motel room down the street. But it's not easy to send your singles ministry to a motel room on Sunday morning. Classes were held in people's homes, but none of it worked because adults, parents didn't want to leave the place where their children were. We built a youth building, and then we built what we called our Family Life Center. And our first weekend in that Family Life Center, God opened a door and a thousand people began to worship here every weekend. On that very weekend, uh, Patty Sandoval came up to me and said, Pastor David, have you ever thought of having a... Spanish-speaking worship. And I was like, oh yeah, baby, that's awesome. I met with, we had like 17 Spanish-speaking people at the time. I met with them for six months studying the book of, of Acts and then uh, we launched our Spanish-speaking. God opened a door into the Latino community and now they average 140, 150 people on the weekend. And then God, 15 years ago, God opened a door in our inner city. And we launched a campus there. We merged with an African-American church. They had a piece of land 
Corner Switch Track and Harvey. They had the building materials. Our people went over and volunteered and built them a building. And now they run 140, 150 people uh, on the weekend. They were running 75 people at that time. We said, we got to do life together. We got to be one church, white and brown and black. Five years ago, God opened a door in Janesville, Wisconsin. And now we have a campus there meeting in the Pontiac Center. Three years ago, God opened a door in McChesney Park, Illinois. And now we have a, a campus there in Harlem High School. God just keeps opening doors, and we, our intention is just to keep walking through them, relying on Jesus, so that this past year, we averaged over 2,000 worshipers on the weekend at, at our campuses. Better than that, last year, over 225 people surrendered their lives to Jesus and were baptized, sharing fully with him in his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, even individual people, I had a husband and wife come up to me this, uh, this morning and said, we want you to baptize us. A husband and wife walking through an open door that Jesus creates. I had two teenage girls last week say, we want to be baptized. 15 and 16, even teenagers are stepping through the doors that Jesus opens into a real relationship with him. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we made a resolve as a church. This was it. Our number one resolve in 2020 is to love Jesus. Love Jesus first, love Jesus most, love Jesus only and always. But I'm gonna call you to make another resolution this morning that relying on Jesus we, Central Christian, will walk through every door he opens this year. I mean, in response to his promise that I have opened a door for you. I have opened a door. Put that up there for me, please. I have opened a door for you that no one can shut. I have, through 38 years of ministry here, I've identified Three key characteristics of an open door church. One is that it's open door love. Jesus loves every kind of person, every color of person, every culture of person, and we've decided to love every kind of person as well. Remember um, Luke 15, the story Jesus told about the lost sheep? The shepherd Jesus says has a hundred sheep, but one of them wanders off and gets lost. The good shepherd goes after the lost sheep and searches and searches and searches until he finds it, and when he finds it, he kicks it in the rear end and says, what's the matter with you stupid sheep? No, that's not what he said. He says the good shepherd picks that sheep up, carries it on his shoulders, carries it home. On the way home, he pulls out his cell phone, calls his shepherd buddies. Hey, I found that lost sheep. Come on over. We're going to have a barbecue. <laughs> no, that wasn't in the story. No, that which was lost has been found. And there is more joy in heaven over one person who comes to Christ than a whole bunch of people who already know him. So we're excited. We believe that every single person who's drifted away from Jesus, we believe that the dream of God is to help them find their way home to him in, J in Janesville and Beloit and McChesney Park and the entire regions. Every person far from God matters to us. In fact, back in 1990, we did some weird stuff. I don't know what we were smoking 
But back in 1990, when we went from 250 to 500 overnight, it was like, oh my gosh. What we did, if you ever go to our chapel, there's like a big wall. We cut that wall out from the very bottom, up both sides of the very edges, all the way to the top, and had all these big machinery in here and moved it back 13 feet so we could add another 100 seats. But then, still three services on Sunday, all those seats filled up. We broke every fire code. Don't tell the fire department. We were setting up chairs everywhere in the overflow. And we found out that 34% of working Americans couldn't go to church on Sunday if they wanted to because their job requires that they work. 34% doctors, nurses, waitresses. And so we started Saturday night service. Those people matter to God. They matter to us. First week into this year, over 400 people were present for our Saturday night service. You see, if we love people and want to reach people that no other church is reaching, I don't want people from other churches come here. I want to reach people the tens of thousands of people who have no church home. That's what we're after. If we love people and want to reach people no other church is reaching, we must do what no other church is doing. So for 30 years, we've had a Saturday night worship to make a a place and room for people who have to work on Sunday, open door love, but secondly, open door sacrifice. We bought this land with money that we'd saved up back in the late 80s, but when it came time to build the building, we had to go to the bank and get a loan, and the banker said, we don't trust churches, and you're not a very big church, so what, here's what's going to happen. If you will get 40 families in your church to put up their homes as collateral for the loan, we will loan you the money to construct that church. We only had 80 families at the time, but half the families of this church put up their mortgages as collateral to get the loan. And think about what these people were leaving. The folks back then, that was a, that was a nice building on Olympia and Vine. They had been married in that building. Their children had been baptized in that building. They had attended the funerals of their parents in that building. They, but they were willing to walk away from their spiritual memories because they saw Jesus opening a door on the other side of town, close to the confluence of I-90 and I-39, and in total reliability to Jesus, they put their mortgages on the line. You see, financial sacrifice is a difficult door to walk through. But guess what you find on the other side? When you walk through the door of financial sacrifice, yeah. You see, you can memorize the Bible cover to cover. You can pray till you're blue in the face. You can keep coming here on the weekend every weekend. 
But your financial giving out of every pay period is the catalyst. It's like rocket fuel for your faith and your relationship with Jesus. It's not that any of those other behaviors are unimportant. It's just that the key factor of your relationship with Jesus is triggered by your financial sacrifice. Financial sacrifice is a challenging door to walk through. I know, but it is always the defining mark of a real relationship with Jesus. Our people then, our people now believe the promise of Jesus. Luke 6, 38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. All those guys, all those guys within five years, they all got their mortgages back. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. They got a home in heaven now. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Open door love, open door sacrifice, and and finally, open door prayer. God has shown up and shown off in this church in absolutely remarkable ways. Jesus has done great things in our lives and in this church. But he's done the great things on the basis of our, our great prayers. And so I want to call you to what I think is the most important open door prayer. Our servers will go right now. They'll come to your row with buckets. This time you get to take something out of the bucket. It's a sticker. The sticker says, I resolve to pray for, and then you write the names. I've got six friends. I'm writing their names on my sticker. I resolve to pray for the names of my friends, my family, my neighbors, my coworkers, that they will find hope through Jesus this Easter. So you write their names and you pray for them. And you pray for them every day. You pray for opportunities to invite them to Easter. You pray for opportunities to share your faith, your story with them. Now these stickers are called stickers because they stick. The back of the sticker is removable. And what I'd like for you to do, are are our servers doing something? You're making me sweat. Reach into the bucket, pull out a sticker or a pen if you don't have a pen. If there's no pen in front of you, thanks guys uh, for your help. And then grab the sticker, write the names on it. But when you leave today, we have a big resolve banner out in our hallway outside this room. Go out this door, go out these doors. It's to your left, out these doors. That's my left. I guess it's your left too. And then out right. Put your sticker on the Resolve banner where all the other stickers are already present. Every week when we come to church, we'll go there, we'll pause there, we'll pray for our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers. We'll pray for all the other people that are listed by someone else. And we'll call down the goodness of God for these sheep that have wandered away and the dream of God that they find their home back here at Central in a real relationship with Jesus. Um, You can keep your eyes open while I pray. But I want to pray that God will bring to your mind people in your life right now who need him, who need his love. Uh, Let's pray together. I'll keep my eyes open too, just to watch you. (laughs) Father God, you are a faithful God. You are full of mercy. You love to show compassion. You put people in our lives, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, family members, Lord, who need your love. And we're going to pray for them every day between now and Easter. We're going to pray that they find hope in Jesus by Easter. We're going to pray for opportunities to share our faith and our story. We're going to pray for opportunities to invite. Lord, we ask that this will always be 
an open door church with open door love, an open door sacrifice, an open door prayer. And this church will always be an open door church if I'm an open door Christian. And these guys, the Central Christian Church family, are open door believers. We love you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Just a reminder to stay connected with us throughout the week at centralwire.com or on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for being with us and have a great week.